Uh, Dalton, uh, Dustin and I have been on a kick recently of uh, recasting <laughs> action films. Okay. Uh, this with, is... with the cast of Seinfeld. Interesting. <laughs> so we were watching uh, Liam Neeson in Nonstop good yesterday, movie. and we said, what if Liam Neeson's character, an air marshal uh, with baggage, mm-hmm. uh, was played by Jerry Seinfeld? Well, and I... And then yeah, okay. Julianne Moore play is played by... Uh, Julie Dreyfus and the and Scoop the McNary. pilot was oh. George Costanza. Okay, was... and the terrorist was Kramer. Okay, I, I figured Scoop McNeary was Michael Richards. Yeah, yes. that's that's what I was picturing. And so today we were watching The Foreigner again, uh, and we said, "What if Pierce Brosnan's character was played by Jerry Seinfeld?" <laughs> and the titular foreigner was the soup Nazi. Interesting. In no place of Jackie names James. for you. No names for you. <laughs> I saw that you re-logged The Foreigner. I love that you watched it twice. Yeah, we watched it. He wanted, he wanted it. to watch it again. I didn't log it last night. I needed to log it. Oh, so you've both watched it twice yeah. for this episode. I watched it last this night. This is excellent. Rewatched, yeah. I watched quite distracted. I had a four-year-old. Oh. As it goes sometimes. I assumed we were recording because of Arthur's bit. Oh, we are. Bit. We oh, are. We are. Better. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film says course like we're in a film says course. I am still Dustin. I am still Arthur. I am still Dalton, but, you know, don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> don't don't be saying it on an open line. That's right. We have to make sure we wrap our cell phones in tinfoil before we come into the podcast Sanctum Sanctorum. And uh, Hey, we're wrapping up our uh, marathon. We're, we are doing a marathon. Our East, our East meets West crime wave marathon. Is this the last one? I thought we had one more. Oh, we do have one more. Never mind. Ignore okay. Arthur. Well, we are, I'll see you next week, well, yeah, y'all. We're, we're yeah. approaching wrapping it it's up. It's hard to know when I time is... I had the East meets West crime marathon. I actually had that, but I was like, we're doing the last one. You threw me off. I did, though. Yeah. Because just... I thought we had one more, too. Oh, well. So... What is time? What we're look? We're in. Maybe this will be the last. Maybe I'll post the last. It's the penultimate. Exactly. It's the penultimate. We're setting up the last one. This is the red wedding episode. Exactly. Yeah, we're getting ready for the season finale. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I have a bag with me today. Uh, The old man is loosening up. Oh no. Oh no. It's gotta be popping his joints. He has a bag. He's putting it on the table. Uh oh, he's opened it. It's just screwdrivers. The screwdrivers duct tape and a gun wrapped in a towel. <laughs> Home with a homemade silencer. In case you're tuning into the Good Trash Genrecast for the very first time, dear listener, we want to warn you that this is an analysis show, not a review show. And that does mean we're going to spoil the movie, uh, which is based on a novel from like 35 years ago. But um, it's not quite like that. And so it, it ends in slightly different ways. But we'll talk about those things. But that'll be towards the end of the show to save you from spoilerage if you wish to avoid it. So we'll begin with the synopsis from Arthur Gordon, which will be like a synopsis, like you read a thing about a movie to not know what happens, but to know what you're getting in for. Uh, we'll let you know what you're getting in for, and then we'll do a little uh, thumbs up, thumbs down review time, just to let you know whether or not we like this thing. Uh, again, it doesn't matter if we like it or not, because you can learn as much from a bad movie as you can from a good movie. Then we're going to move on to another exercise we like to call expanding the syllabus, in which we will, well pretend like this is a class and we'll say things about that and we might spoil this film or other films in its orbit then finally we'll have music to let you know that we have gotten down to business that we have unwrapped the uh, bag with the gun and uh, all spoiler bets are off and all the spoiler blood will be all over the walls yeah we'll tell you what Jackie Chan does to Pierce Brosnan and how he does it oh man it is excellent so uh, we'll get to that though when it happens so without any further ado then Arthur Would you please delight us with the synopsis, please? Uh, I will. This comes from IMDb this week because I've been sleeping on the job, as you could tell, because I don't know what week it is anymore. A humble businessman with a buried past seeks justice when his daughter is killed in an act of terrorism. A cat and mouse conflict ensues with a government official whose past may hold clues to the killer's identities. Well, they play all the cards close to their chest, don't they? That's a pretty good synopsis from IMDb. Sometimes it's really mm-hmm. bad. Yeah, that's good synopsis. But I like that one. It yeah. sets up both both stories. It's but, really but a movie of two plots. A tale really, of two cities, you if really, you will. <laughs> it's a city of two tales, <laughs> may I add. <laughs> with it's the cat, two cities with two well, tales. Cats and mice both have tails. Therefore, Where the there are two tails. Where in? The snake, right? Because you have either end of the e- snake. Either end of the snake. It, it, the tail the one in bites. bites you. If you have a biting-tailed mouse... If it's a rattlesnake, when it makes music, though. <laughs> I was just going to let you two go, but then he got me with that bullshit. <laughs> like a little baraka. You're right, though. We, we've got two cities, Belfast and London. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're moving around. We Most got... of the action takes place in Belfast, but yeah. and in the farm outside of Belfast. Yeah. 
but we're definitely in two cities. We've got two two cats that we're following. You could call both of these fellows cats. I think so. I would. Uh, they're both up to something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, aren't, isn't it, it? What is a cat if not up to something? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Mischievous. Yeah. Mischievous. And these cats. are mischievous guys, both our hero and our antagonist. So um, we have all seen this movie before, correct? Yes. Yes, this is yes. Re- repeating for everyone. We've all seen it approximately three times. At least three times. <laughs> I think probably four now, maybe five. Well, you guys watched well, it. I this... guess that makes him the most, so. Yeah, and you guys watched it this afternoon, so I'm, I guess I'll go first. I've only okay. seen it twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're the furthest removed. Yeah, I saw it the once in theaters, and then this this repeat viewing, and I gotta say, I underrated this when I saw this in theaters. I, You know, I gave it two and a half stars, was like whatever about it. Uh, I'm coming out of this. This is three and a half stars for me. I really like this. This is a fun time. You know, uh, it's it's everybody's playing against type. Pierce Brosnan's getting to do one, an Irish brogue, which he doesn't get to do very often. Um, I don't know if that's his actual accent, I think that's though. just what Pierce Brosnan sounds like, isn't I it? think he's doing something. I think he might be Because he's from Dublin, oh, yeah, London yeah. by way of Dublin. That, I was going to say, he's, yeah. yeah, Southern Irish, actually, yeah. so that might, he might exactly. be doing... Exactly. I wouldn't know, I couldn't distinguish between a Bel- Belfastian versus a Dubliner at all. I only know there's differences when they start using Celtic words that aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know you're way out in the pokies. <laughs> and then you found out you're incarnate the Twelfth. No! Sorry. Uh, he's against type, but Jackie's against type, too. You know, we're, we're so used to seeing Jackie Chan play affable and, and sort of silly. And even before the inciting incident of this movie kicks off, even before he's like in old man action mode, he's kind of a sullen dude. He's he's got a real like sadness to him, mm-hmm. and again we learn his backstory as the film goes, and that sort of explains this in- inherent kind of tragedy that this guy's carrying around. But it's you know it's it's a couple of different movies, and they're all very fun, and they're all very much movies that would have been on cable in the nineties. Mm-hmm. It really is Martin Campbell cashing in his James Bond check uh, from Casino Royale to say, yeah, I want to make a Jackie Chan movie, but what if I made it a sort of a political thriller? And uh, I, yeah, I think this movie works. Again, it's got that political thriller element. It's got the the action revenge element. So it's these uh, two different films kind of fitting together. And you, uh, your mileage may vary on how well those two films fit together. But for me, I think it pretty it's pretty effective. You know, the, these different storylines are told uh, in parallel and they all end up intersecting. And uh, I, I think the ways in which the, the story threads end up coming together are all, are all pretty satisfying. The, the magnolia of action thrillers. Yeah, exactly. It's that, that school of plotting, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and outside of that, I think the filmmaking is really top-notch. You know, really slickly directed action photography. Uh, I, one of my favorite set pieces being this escape from a bed and breakfast, uh, where the the um, the goons for uh, Pierce Brosnan's... Uh, Irish politician, deputy first minister, or whatever his title is, his goons come come for Jackie Chan after he he plants a bomb, and uh, he has to escape from them. And it is extremely thrilling. It is just a really really delightful like mix of fight and chase. And I think that that sequence really kind of lays the groundwork for a really exciting action film. Uh, it's just really competently made. It's got a great Cliff, Cliff Martinez score, uh, really turning in some good stuff here. Obviously, you know, he's most known for his work with Nicholas Winding Refn and Steven Soderbergh. But uh, I, I think that this this one from him is is a fun cut. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's it, there's nothing new in this film by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it is really satisfying. I like it a lot. Very good. Very good. Well, what do you think, Arthur? Do you like The Foreigner? Uh, yeah, this is definitely within my wheelhouse. Um, I think in Letterboxd, I mentioned this is a movie that kind of stands out, I think, amongst a crowded genre, especially in the last... Gosh, what, 15 years since Taken came out, I think? Um, or longer. Uh, this idea of kind of the old man action uh, genre, wherein we've had a number of older gentlemen, uh, sometimes older women. We've gotten a few now where where that's kind of... Uh, I know Allison Janney got hers on Netflix. <laughs> um, but the idea of taking these actors... Um, who've maybe done one thing for so long and sort of giving them uh, this sort of vehicle. I mean, it's a good uh, mid-budget thing, usually bring in a pretty good audience base, I think, on that star power, Liam Neeson being the most noted, um, who's made his entire last 20 years, the last 20 years of his career, really off of these sorts of films. Um, And so it's, it's definitely a crowded genre, but I think... What works about this is uh, the inclusion of these sort of dual intertwining storylines. Totally. I think the revenge thing itself is pretty vanilla. Um, 
in its setup uh, and the way it kind of comes together. I think Jackie Chan's a lot of fun, though. I think him play. I mean, there's just something about world weary weather Jackie Chan um, who is carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. I told Dustin we were rewatching this this morning. Uh, there's this way in which he's encountered like Job levels of loss uh, in his mm-hmm. life. And it really, I think, carries that well. Um, I think Martin Campbell's just a solid director, too. I think he's got enough style uh, and enough flair to make. I mean, we've seen this before with Casino Royale's uh, Dalton mentioned um, The Mask of Zorro oh, as yeah. well, yeah. Uh, where he's just really on point. And I'd, I'd seen this movie for the first time a couple years ago. I think around the time we watched that, I went through and watched a few of Martin Campbell's films. Um, and he's just a really interesting, you know, kind of director for hire, come in, make a project. And I think he's super competent at doing that. I think he's really yeah. good uh, with action and this kind of level of action. And there's nothing too grandiose about this, but uh, what he does works. And getting to see Jackie Chan, who's a little older, kind of missing a step in some of his fights and being off just a little, but still able to overcome the odds uh, and be able to root for him uh, in those moments is really fun. And I just kind of like a guy who's, you know... Uh, I guess an underdog in this way, you know, everybody's underestimating what he's going to be able to do. And he's leagues ahead of them at every level, strategy, tactical hand. I mean, physical, you know, which is fun. And we got some fun archetype side characters, the heavies, uh, the nephew, maybe gunning for the throne, mm-hmm. uh, all those kind of fun political intrigue, game of thrones. Uh, yeah, yeah. Chess piece, pawn movement things. Uh, and I, I really, you know, kind of, not fully gotten down the rabbit hole, but really there is something I, I want to know more about the sort of history of Ireland, the war resistance, the troubles and every, I mean, it's, you know, several hundred years of history that kind of leads us to here. Um, but it's just kind of fascinating to me. And so uh, I, I think that part really helps drive this forward. I never do feel like it's too long. It feels pretty well paced. I could see some things maybe towards the end where you could trim some fat uh, but overall, I think it works really well and some fun set pieces, some fun action. Uh, I, I think they take something that's pretty stock and through Campbell's stylish direction, uh, Jackie and Pierce and that Cliff Martinez score uh, really elevate this to kind of pretty solid uh, action work. And like you said, I think this definitely would have had a shelf life uh, as just on repeat on on cable television in the in the 90s and early aughts yeah this movie couldn't have happened before taken but it still feels like very kind of of a previous era yeah Mm -hmm. i agree uh very very much with that sentiment so i yeah i I dig this movie quite a bit i think it's a lot of fun uh definitely in my wheelhouse as far as mid-budget action uh that we just don't you know always get to see a lot of anymore so outside of streaming uh, I also like it very much. It is a absolute fun, thrilling ride. We talked about the score a second ago. Arthur did, and it ju- it knows when to come in and when to stay out. Totally, and it comes in at moments that are showy in a way, but they're showing the way that you want it to be showy at those moments. Like, oh, now he's going to be sneaking around through the woods and he's going to be building his little man traps and whatnot. Uh, that all of that really works. And again, Jackie's performance is fantastic. He definitely demonstrates a little bit of range there uh, with that performance. Pierce Brosnan is, as always, incredible. I love ominous, threatening Pierce Brosnan. Mm. I also love scripts where you have those kinds of mob boss types give lines that are like uh, really understated. Um, Go find him, grab him, and persuade him not, or um, no, it's not persuade him. discourage him from returning yeah <laughs> uh, which is you know obviously bad guy code for you know beat the stew out of him and you know leave him outside uh you know uh, a fairy t- back very to- <laughs> very political way of phrasing everything yeah, yeah. you know yeah. And, I, and i love that kind of stuff and there, there are little pieces of that throughout the script and so it was really really well written uh and so uh, a lot of that just really works for me um i do have a couple problems with the movie overall but i i mean they're 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 problems you you have after you think about it totally not while you're watching it i get that um it's unkind to women dude i yeah we'll talk about it i made the same note i was just like what are we even doing here and it is weirdly one-sided and minimizing of some of the political edges to the troubles and it definitely seems to be taking a side in a way that is 
partisan. We'll say that much. That well, that minimizes a lot of things. That I, I, I again, while you're watching it, you, if you take the film world as it is, it doesn't matter, right? Because we're not really working with the nuances of the struggle and what was going on and what was at stake and who you know and, you know those kinds of questions. It is a situation of the right here, right now. We're sort of after that moment, but it does sort of continue with some assumptions that are pretty hail Britannia. Uh, and, uh, which troubles me, uh, a little bit. So I, I want to sort of give those, uh, other pieces of reading to let you know that in watching the film, I thought about none of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's a real success to the film in that it is effective and pleasurable and enjoyable and a uh, really, really, really fun ride. And it's only if you dare continue to think about it afterward, you go, wait a minute. And there's a bit of waiting a minute with this particular film, I would say. Yeah. So I like it a lot. Uh, I think as, as a film piece of celluloid and a, uh, extravaganza of entertainment it absolutely works but there's bits of it that i find a little suspect but we'll talk more about that anon with that we move on to the next section of the show which we like to call expanding the syllabus and i believe arthur it's your turn to explain to the dear listener what expanding the syllabus is all about Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. Very good, very good. Well, Arthur, do you have a syllabus prepared for us today? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so the thing that stuck out to me about this, and I already kind of mentioned him once, uh, is the work of Martin Campbell. Uh, he's a director mm-hmm. who I've really kind of come to admire uh, in retrospect. Um, again kind of really doing well with these sorts of action films. He's been uh, entrusted with a couple of Bond movies, uh, Casino Royale, but also uh, GoldenEye uh, back in the day. And so I enjoy catching stuff from him, seeing what he's kind of done. Uh, He's also done Green Lantern, uh, which most people wouldn't hold up. Uh, you know, Mask of Zorro, Vertical Limit. Those Zorro ones uh, are great. Vertical Limit. I forgot Uh, about that He did the uh, HBO uh, Arkham Noir uh, cast a deadly spell uh, about a, a noir detective working in the world of H.P. Lovecraft I've heard you characters. talk about this movie yeah. before. I want to uh, see it. Which is a hoot and a holler. Uh, and so he's someone who's just kind of really interesting to watch. Uh, and so I think in this class, uh, we'd probably do uh, in conversation with or alongside a section on auteurism, we'd actually do a little focus on the mature enceinte or the journeyman director. Mm. Uh, these directors who are very talented, very skilled um, but if, you know, the idea, we'd look at Andrew Sarris's art, you know, kind of essay on, uh, O-tourism and what defines O-tourism, if that's something we, uh, want to discuss. And in some instances we can discuss as a, uh, prominent theory. Um, I think we'd also kind of have to look at the flip side and, and the, 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 the thing that kind of separates the journeyman from the quote unquote O-tour, uh, and that, you know, connective thread, uh, that sort of underlies the work and that kind of interior meaning that's often a part of the full filmography of uh, a director. And so in doing that, uh, just jot down a few names I think we'd take a look at alongside uh, Martin Campbell. I, I think just kind of go back in the classic days, I'd take a look at Michael Curtiz uh, mm-hmm. from Casablanca, uh, noted for one of the great American films, but who was just sort of a house director doing a house job. Uh, and took a movie that wasn't really supposed to do anything and made it into a cultural phenomenon that has sort of exceeded uh, expectations in the history books. And so we look at that. We probably look at some of the other stuff. We may watch uh, the Netflix uh, biography, uh, uh, fictional autobiographical film, not autobiographical, uh, biopic, uh, uh which is on there, and, and mm-hmm. kind of take a look at him. And, I had and, no idea this existed. Yeah, I, I don't think it's an American production, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was international. Okay. I can't remember. Uh, and then from there, we'd probably jump forward and then just throw out a few names. And so alongside Martin Campbell, uh, we'd look at a guy who I really uh, like right now, and that's John Collette Serra, uh, who did. He's worked with Liam Neeson a few times. He did yep. nonstop, uh, run all night, and unknown uh, uh, commuter. A walk Among the Tombstones, I think, is Maybe that's, them as well. Yeah, that's, yeah. I know that's Liam Neeson. Might yeah, not yeah. be a Collette Serra. Um, he did Commuter as well, but oh, he's yeah. worked with The Rock a couple times with Jungle Cruise and The Black Adam. Uh, but he also did House of Wax uh, from 2005, which I really uh, enjoy. Uh, and that, and I think something even like nonstop, you can kind of see his mm-hmm. style 
come out. He, I think he knows what can be visually appealing, especially in House of Wax when they're using these big practical sets that are melting, uh, and the characters are just kind of in this waxy muck, and it's just really cool set pieces that take place. Uh, but in that, we can kind of look at his work, and even the, something like The Shallows with uh, Blake Lively, and see uh, that visual style. This is a person who knows how to tell a story visually, has a style, uh, but doesn't seem to have like a larger connective thread or um, interior meaning to to his work. Just very good at telling stories visually. Uh, from there, we'd also take a look, I think, at Jean Favreau, a uh, big mm-hmm. component in the MCU, uh, but also a guy who can go from doing Elf to Iron Man to doing something a little more intimate like Chef. Um, who's just, again, a very solid hand uh, at telling stories and crafting stories that appeal to people uh, and, and the, the public at large. I think we take a look at F. Gary Gray. Sure. Uh, again, a, a, a director who can move from something small and intimate and pure comedy like Friday into doing big action movies, doing something like The Negotiator or Set It Off or uh, something a little more uh, dramatic and, and real life with... Uh, straight out of Compton and just kind of bouncing all over genre and style. Uh, but being a very, very competent, very talented, uh, visual storyteller. Uh, we'd take a look at, I think Ron Howard. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who's massive career, massive legacy, but again, somebody who can just kind of jump around and do a sports drama with rush or a big American drama, like Apollo 13 or, big genre fair like the da vinci code comes in at the 11th hour and does a star wars joint yeah Yeah. i mean just plays around has a wealth of i think history and connection and and is able to integrate all of those elements uh, into storytelling and is just really solid at it and so i think that is probably where we'd end though but we would just spend some time talking about the material sand this kind of journeyman filmmaker in contrast with the more uh, respected auteur uh, and kind of what sets those apart, kind of defining those lines and, and looking at how we can divvy those up, if we could even divvy those yeah. up as well. And, th- and then sort of be able to move from that to that sort of vulgar auteurism too, right? Yeah. And sort of give all those sort of different speciations, yeah. right? That'd be really yep. fun, yeah. So that's yeah. where we're going with this, as I think. As a student, I dig that. Fun. Very cool. So, uh, Dalton, I about called you Arthur. I That's think I was, fine. I was looking at him a minute ago. Um, do you have a syllabus can't prepared? can't get me out of his head. He can't. I live in there rent-free 24-7. I mean, you do work together, so nah, it would make nah, sense. Nah, nah, many, nah. You had any, uh, <laughs> any uh, uncomfortable dreams about Arthur, Dustin? I mean, they're natural in the workplace. All of them are uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, my class would be... My class. <laughs> my class. Uh, who I love dearly. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm looking at the IRA on this one. We're looking at the Irish Republican struggle, uh, Irish Republicanism, and uh, the troubles, and sort of the plethora of media around this this era. That I, I say era, but as Arthur pointed out, this shit starts in the 18th century and goes into the 1990s. Well, there's stuff even in the fifth, uh, 17th century, 1600s. Mm-hmm. We've got Edmund Spencer and his whole, you know, he goes there as a governor for a while, and they burn his house down. Because he's too British. I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, the the story of uh, Britannia and Ireland is a fraught one, let's say. And I, I think the stories around it do a pretty good job of highlighting this. This is obviously something, you know, we, we frequently will on the show be like, hey, heads up, not an expert on this class that I'm theoretically going to teach. I... I I've tried my best. And Arthur, I'm sure you'd dip your toes Dipping into Dipping your toes in is like falling headfirst into the deep end of yeah. a, like a hundred foot pool. The difference between the provisional IRA and the real IRA. And the UVFs and the, the WBDs. Mm-hmm. Sinn Féin. Can, can we just talk about the, the script writing of the... having them be the authentic IRA? Like, like they had to go on synonym safari mm-hmm. to figure out. That... Well, you do. <laughs> a branch of the IRA that hasn't <laughs> like, been, like, hasn't been yeah. used or named. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, just, I think that was very funny to me. That original, is the interesting. intentional, exactly. authentic. <laughs> that's the thing that's interesting about it is there are the verified so, there's so many the blue check IRA. I, I, that's very fucking funny <laughs> blue check IRA is hilarious but yeah I mean there are so many splinter factions because it is both a paramilitary struggle and a political struggle and boy does the media love white terrorists and the idea of that I there's there's something racial going on with media's kind of fixation on the IRA and I I don't know what it is. But tell me I'm wrong. You know what I mean? 
We don't have to call them terrorists if they're white, though, right? That's, or is that just an American thing? I think that's just an American oh, okay, thing. Cool. I think they call them terrorists over there. Yeah, yeah they, they I, definitely do. But I think that especially Americans, like uh, whether it's the Irish diaspora in America or whether, you know, there there is sort of a, a tendency towards Irish. There IRS. is a real romanticization <laughs> of that, you know? Totally. And that is interesting. Yeah, I, I I don't know what the there there is, but is it's it the Revolutionary War and sort of throwing out British occupying forces? I, I no, I just think it's all the damn Irish folks. Yeah, there's more people of Irish ancestry in the United States than there are people on the island of Ireland. Well, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, because you know the potato thing. It, yeah. well, it was a lot of stuff. Yeah, but <laughs> it was a lot of there's stuff. A lot of stuff. There was yeah. a blight. Yeah. Here are some of the movies we would look at though. Uh, we look at Steve McQueen's Hunger, which yes. fe- features uh, Bobby Sands and the very famous Hunger Strike. I, I think that's sort of an essential one uh not one but two danny day lewis performances of course the boxer and in the name of the father both ira pictures uh you know you're when you're dan lewis and you're one of the most sought after actors in the world and you're irish you're gonna be in a couple ira movies what are you gonna do uh i haven't seen either of those but i've always wanted to the crying game look we'll talk about it it's got it's sort of dated issues as far as casting goes but like i've always wanted to catch up with it and again another film that deals with this stuff pretty straight up um i also found out about this documentary uh that features uh, called the patriot game uh it's named for an irish ballad by dominic behan behan b-e-h-a-n you know it's hard to say if that's anglicanized pronunciation or not but anyway uh it's it's a irish ballad from the 50s and they they took this oh, wait, title. It's irish so it's steve yeah exactly you can never tell they love to keep you on your toes with the actual irish language can i buy a vowel just so many e's and i's dude so (laughs) many e's and i's when you try to read it uh but anyway the patriot games a doc about the troubles that covers like the 20s through the 70s i think it's a early 80s doc but it sounds pretty interesting um i'd also maybe look at the play the lieutenant of inishmore which is a martin mcdonough play uh it's one one before he became a you know a filmmaker it's it's he made a play about a a guy that was too crazy for the ira and uh goes on the war path after his cat turns up dead uh yeah sounds like a martin mcdonough play right <laughs> it does like john wick meets yeah yeah exactly uh the last one i'd mention is is actually kind of taking the other side of things a little bit not a lot not politically anyway it's called 71 uh it's from like 2014 it's a action thriller about uh i can't remember if he's like an ulster dude or an actual like british military guy but he gets stuck in belfast during a riot in, seven, in 71 yeah. and he has to like That's try it. to not get murdered uh really interesting movie again just kind of a you know behind enemy lines type movie but i, th- I thought it'd be interesting to the very least like all of these are sort of all the the picks that i have or if not sympathetic to the IRA, or at least, you know, take it, take their concerns and struggle seriously. And 71 doesn't dismiss it either. Yeah, the it, movies tend to be sympathetic to the cause and not to tactics, is what it, what the overall sort of yeah. feeling I get from. And 71 kind of, despite being, I think, an English film, uh, does sort of do the same thing. It, it is sort of like, well, look, we're not going to get into the nuances of this, but like, boy, would it suck to be on the wrong end of this. And but just because you're, a, you know, a British soldier doesn't mean like the people of Belfast are going to like tear your innards out like it is, mm-hmm. does become about like the community helping this guy from like more you know radical factions like all right you're just some dumb kid like we got to help yeah, you well, yeah yeah like, and if we get you killed and there's gonna be like eight billion more yeah right? exactly yeah. exactly yeah it's sort of a morally complicated like, action chase thriller yeah. yeah i think you would probably dig it yeah, actually it sounds like the kind of thing i love it's, yeah. yeah it's got do you know jack o'connell uh he's a younger actor he's in this movie startup with uh, ben mendelson it's like an uh, australian prison movie it's about a kid who ends up in the same clink as his dad and like the the sparks that fly between the two of them as they're incarcerated together yeah Hmm. i like jack Uh, o'connell that sounds great yeah yeah yeah, i I like a lot anyway so that's 71 and that that would probably be the last uh picture we looked at uh for this uh but i I, yeah I, i think there's a class here we would probably have to do more reading than i was able to pull uh research on uh but uh i mean come on it's it's fraught storytelling if nothing else yeah i think there's there's a lot of there there and uh, i don't know maybe now we'll talk about some of the there that's there yeah with the foreigner which is also a film we would cover in this class about the ira dustin how would you talk about jackie chan 
and Pierce Brosnan's The Foreigner. So I don't know what class it goes in. I've got a, I've got a syllabus for a module, but I don't know where I would plug and play this particular module. But what I was thinking about was these sort of diaspora revenge movies where you are not home, the, you're sort of a, your protagonist, mm-hmm. and you've got to figure out a way to find justice in some sense. And that's, I mean, that's obviously you know Jackie Chan's character who's um, changed from being Vietnamese to being Chinese. Well, he's, and, he is, uh, he's... He's, they say he's Chinese Nung, which is in 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 U N G, which is a Chinese ethnic group in Vietnam. Right. Yeah. Right. He's proper Vietnamese yeah. in the novel. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, that's a change, and that's fine because which, he's, Jackie Chan's he's a Chinese Chan. guy. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, why would you do that? So that makes sense. Uh, for have the, you read the novel, The Chinaman? I I, I picked it up once. Of I course, you I have. haven't read it uh, okay. all the way, but I picked it up at one Skimmed point. Skimmed it. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've he Wikipedia'd it. <laughs> I've I, I not given it a formal read, as all good academics do. Yes, yeah, right. We have man Wikipedia to cheat. Yes, indeed. Anyway, um, so you know that the movie's kind of doing that. So he's mm-hmm. he doesn't really. I mean, he's been there a long time. But he's still sort of behaving according to the sort of behaviors of the older cultures. Like, oh, the way in which I figure out a way to... You guys can't do your stuff legally, but I, you can get me information. I'll pay you a little bribe here. Like, he just he just figures this is the way it works. And so he doesn't quite understand, but he does understand. To his credit, it's weird that it doesn't work that way in the West. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It is weird that it doesn't. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I think the pro-Britannia of it, we can't have Bromley taken... Yeah, bribe. But anyway, that's there. There are there are a number of reasons why the bribe doesn't work. Sure. Uh, beyond just you know, you're yeah, not... the, the, you're right. The screenplay does call for the bribe to not work. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and yeah, for particular ways there. Uh, so I think uh, what you might add to this uh, another American film uh, here is uh, Man on Fire, uh, the Denzel Washington movie in Mexico, where he is a CIA ex CIA kind of guy or Secret Service kind of guy. He got a kid to guard, and the kid gets kidnapped. And same kind of thing. He's gonna you know basically shoot his way through Mexico City, and uh, bring a kid back. And the sort of cultural clash that's at work there. But I think the best example, and uh, the where I spend most of my attention in the class is uh, the twenty eighteen. I want to say. Palm Door winner uh, D-Pan, uh, which is a movie I've talked on the show mm. about on the show before, which is very much just a movie about was the year 2015. It's a French movie. It's a French film. Yeah, that's what I thought. But it's Sri Lankan um, ex Tamil Tigers. Uh, it, it's a movie about um, well three three uh, Sri Lankan characters. Um, they are not related. Mm-hmm. Uh, a young girl, a woman, and a man, and they're trying to get on the refugee boat, and so they pretend to be a family. Uh, okay. Because if if she they've got a daughter. Mm-hmm. Priority, and if they're a married couple, well, you can't separate her from her mom and dad. Yeah, and so they don't know each other at all, and now they're stuck in Paris, trying to figure out a life. And of course, uh, where you get housing is in the banlieues of Paris, which are terrible places, full of crime and gangsters. And gangsters do some gangster things, and then Deepan goes to work uh, because he is um, a man with a certain set of skills. And so it's, it, that's only in the last half hour of the movie, but it really is a compelling sort of immigrant story mm-hmm. uh, in ways that I think The Foreigner is as well, that I think Man on Fire is less so, but uh, because it is sort of um, kind of Yankee imperialism uh, at work there with uh, Man on Fire. But, you know, just those kind of conversations would be kind of fun and interesting yeah. uh, to think about those movies. But again, I don't know what class I stick that in, but uh, or when I'd stick it into a class. I mean, but... is it just like an old man action genre and then like this is sort of a a little uh, a bump a, on a the, module in yeah. there it's like hey check out these movies that are like featuring diasporas in, in this milieu yeah maybe yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of a nuance to it you know mm-hmm. which is really kind of fascinating but uh i i guess i would go further to say if you like this movie you should probably watch men on fire and d-pan uh because you'll like them too I well that's and I think that's you know Arthur says the same thing. Here's some Martin Campbell movies. Here's some guys that are like Martin Campbell, and I'm like, hey, you know, does the IRA make you go? I want to do some Wikipedia research. Here's some movies that are going to make you do some more research. Yeah. So yeah, good. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus got much longer. I believe now it's time we got down to business. Yes, back and that business is as always analysis uh we got lots of things we could probably say uh we could st- you want to start with old man action let's start with old man action i yeah let's start with old man action so this is a trope this is this is 
well, this is every Clint Eastwood movie. This is John I mean, it, Wick. It's, this is it's taken right. That's taken. sort of oh nine with Liam Neeson is sort of where this Becomes really a yeah me yeah. the the revenge. I mean, Man on Fire I mean, is two thousand four. I was just about to say, but Did, I wouldn't even consider Denzel old. At, yeah, in two thousand four, he's he's like on the cusp of going old man. Yeah, action. Like I mean, he's still kind of his peak of his powers. Totally, mm-hmm. yeah. Equalizer is old man action. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. that one's definitely and and then like Unforgiven is old man action. Absolutely, you know? yeah. It, it, there definitely is like your protagonist has to be over the age of fifty, probably. Like, and then I think that, the, but again, I taken is sort of what kind of turns us into a a, a total in, cottage industry. Yeah. Because you've even got like clean with Adrian Brody again, not that old, but like getting older in his career, and yeah. he does his own kind of like I'm going to be a tough guy movie. How old yeah. is Charles Bronson playing in those Death Wish movies? Oh, oh, those are probably old man action. I yeah, mean, he's, he's not like, he's not that old. I no, don't think, I think, but I think he might be playing older. Seventy four, though, probably fifty. Right, he's not a kid at that point. No. So. He's an older guy. He's like in twenties or thirties, maybe, isn't he? Because mm-hmm. he was in. Wasn't he in the war? He w- well, he was. Uh, he was in the Magnificent Seven in the sixties, and he was pretty young then. So. He would have been f- around fifty. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so there you go. Probably. And he did what six of those? So I maybe don't know, that is kind of thousand. the progenitor of this. Of course, Bruce Willis does his own Death Wish, a full old man action mode for him. But you know, is it count? Does it count as old man action if the actor has always been doing action? Yeah, I don't know because that's sort of the interesting thing about it, right? Because Liam does a hard pivot. I mean, he done like movies with sword fighting, but he hadn't done like proper action flicks before. Right, taking. right, yeah, yeah. Was he, the sort of yeah militaristic kind of ex cop or ex CIA kind of man of work kind of? Yeah, he doesn't really do that. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of new to him when he you know, and obviously his work with uh, Colette Sarah that Arthur mentioned, like he does a ton of that of you know old washed up tough guy shit. But again, Taken's where he kind of starts that He's, phase of his career, and that's. Basson? No. What's his name? Uh, it's a Basson uh, produced joint, but I don't even know the name of the director. On Taken? Yeah, I can't. I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, Basson's producer. Yeah. yeah. I don't... Um, but uh, you know, I mean, obviously Jackie Chan's got uh, decades of action uh, under his belt before he does The Foreigner, which is definitely in this this milieu you were talking about. But he's definitely doing a turn too to do something exactly, than he yeah. Does. Which I think yeah. makes it qual. I don't. I, maybe I'm going to go ahead and back off of this right away. I think you can already be an established action star when you start your mm-hmm. old man action phase, because you know yeah. you can pivot out of action as you get older. I mean Denzel's one. I mean, right? yeah. I mean, if we don't count Man on Fire in this vein as sort of just a revenge thing, then him coming back for Equalizer, I think, is very much a different. Yeah, it but does... I think it's, it depends on the character being presented, right? Like. Well, and that maybe that's kind of why... past their prime, washed up. I mean, Gr- out of practice, out of. I mean, Liam so Neeson as a bodyguard, or is, is that his name in Man on Fire? Grady, I think so. Uh, he's, yeah, I mean, he's like he's like an addict, right? Isn't he like a, a booze and pills guy? Probably. Which, like, I mean, that like even if he's not like old, that like he's washed up yeah. at the very least. And I think you're right. That's a, that trope is sort of essential, even if yeah. it's not an age specifically. That yeah, that that factor of like they're past their prime is I huge. Mean, uh, nobody. You know, is yeah. another kind of example of that is yeah. somebody, you know, with uh, Odenkirk who has mm-hmm. got some sort of history but has been out of the game, mm-hmm. put it behind them, not really in practice anymore, and has to get back in the game. There is an interesting piece with these older man action movies. They're, they're, real, they're real self-reflexive on the idea of action itself and the idea of older men doing it and sort of the ideas of violence. They, they sort of reflect on that. And I was telling Arthur when we were watching it today that there's um if we're going to use some theoretical kind of frameworks and do film studies kind of things with it uh fetishistic disavowal is the way in which you uh you know what you know you know it isn't real but you do it anyway mm-hmm. sort of like the santa claus things that we do with kids sure we know santa claus isn't real but we buy kids presents from santa claus kids know santa claus isn't real but they are excited about their gifts from santa claus and we all continue the sort of polite fiction of you know, doing this Communal thing. lying. We we know six year old Jackie Chan probably can't win a knife fight against this dude in his late twenties. But like, isn't it fun to pretend? It's fun to pretend. But but the but the idea of the enjoyment of the violence. Maybe. Is what I was thinking was fetishistic. That gotcha. these guys always come in like I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm not having any fun at all doing this. And that's the way they're supposed to do it. While we have a blast watching Jackie Chan go to work. While we have a blast watching Liam Neeson pistol whip half of Eastern Europe. You know, we we want that really really bad. 
badly. And then, but we still have this sort of end. And now he goes back to home. You know, uh, Bill Mooney or whatever the name of the character is in the Eastwood movie, uh, Unforgiven, mm. goes back to his farm and, you know, lives a happy, peaceful life. I'm like, yeah, that was fun. And we, we've had a little moment of entertainment when we're, we're saying that that's all bracketed and sideline and not something we enjoy. Well, let's watch it again. Yeah, yeah. You know. it's, you're well, making... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, there's almost a way in which these tales become underdog stories. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know, by the, some sort of initial trauma. <laughs> Mighty death, ducks with guns. kidnap, whatever it might be. And in doing that, we're wanting to root for this person as they try to overcome the odds to get whatever they feel is deserved to them. Revenge, payback, mm-hmm. money, whatever it might be. I wish I could remember the essay I read a lot. I mean, when we were taking film studies class together, so it's been a while. But there was this this essay I read way back in the day that that I, I'm thinking about that uh, kind of talks about the role of the action hero as like a a Christ figure in some ways, like the oh, sort of the, yeah, the way Richard Dyer. I think it's no, I think it's a woman who wrote okay, it. No. Um, but I could be wrong. But it's yeah, it is just sort of this idea of like action heroes taking violence upon their bodies and and just suffering for the audience's sins mm-hmm. in some ways, which I think plays into this idea. This, oh yeah, well we, they have this sort of like you know healing yourself scene with of the, course with the knife, like but, just like Stallone will put gunpowder through yep. a bullet hole. You well, know? and the old man action just like makes it that much sweeter, right? Because like every scene after fight, you get to have a scene of them like being in absolutely like un- just miserable pain right just, like there's... icing themselves or you or know, even in the pills. fight because there's that moment you know jackie's fighting on the stairwell jumps mm-hmm. and then just miss lands and hits the thing and it's like ah oh, it just yeah, has to stumble up from the yeah. stairs yeah, right. yeah and yeah. Then you're all watching this going like oh man that's what it's like because mm-hmm. yeah you'd be you know laying down for a week because you just shoveled your snow right mm-hmm so yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It, yeah, the odds that this restaurant tour, no matter how badass he was in the day, the uh, the idea that this restaurant tour is like kept up a very intense physical fitness regimen uh, is very funny to Seems me. Well, unlikely. There's some interesting world building with this because he has that van and those magnets ready, at the ready, ready to go. So yeah. I was telling Dust is like, this, he's got to be doing so. Like, this isn't his you know first rodeo and. 20 years like i feel like he's been doing something on the side that's interesting yeah right? i mean he's he's got the reason and it's not like buried away like john wick's treasure trove that he's buried mm. in the foundation of his home yeah i mean he has to go to the hardware store to get all of his bomb supplies but you're right he's got he seems a- to have the vans like a delivery thing but he's just yeah. got these magnets laying around yeah like it feels like yeah. he's been prepped yeah why do yeah why do you why do you have magnets that would make your van look like you're a gardener service Wait, what do you just have that laying around? I don't know. We got to delete. Maybe that's a question we're not supposed to be asking, too. I don't know. Well, they shouldn't have made us think these things. Yeah. Didn't they know that weirdos like us would watch their movie? (laughs) They should have. Yeah. Um, Is I don't know. Do we have anything else that we feel like there is to say about old man action, like what it offers us? Well, I think if we circle back to really try to delineate it, we'd have to look at something like I think even First Blood, which Mm -hmm. has many of the same tropes. We could look at you know. Ransom, Revenge with Mel Gibson in the nineties. Mm-hmm. You look at even Commando, I think. Yep. With, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. With Arnie it's in the eighties. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a kidnapped Which, daughter movie. Isn't yep. It? Right. Yeah. I mean, similar tropes. Mm-hmm. We'd have to just kind of define is it really just as simple as the old man? Kind of you know, what is that the only delineation mm-hmm. that separates from just a revenge thriller? Mm-hmm. Or is there something more wrestling with age and wrestling with yeah growing you know death in a very real way i think that maybe was what it is i feel like especially in this film anyway death feels so much more at the forefront like mortality seems to be a bigger issue in these old man action hero hero stories like the the vulnerability of your lead and maybe that's what it is is that you know we after decades of the action genre sort of taking root and and forming tropes and and you know uh, recurring devices the subversion is, we'll have them be old because your audiences are just so used to the invincible action hero that making them old immediately adds a, a, vul- a baked-in vulnerability. Right. But, I mean, that's the thing they've been doing. I think about every John Wayne movie. There's always this sort of young whippersnapper that John mm-hmm. Wayne kind of puts in his place. Yeah, you know, but is Gary he Cooper like, does, aren't or... they, like, still 
total badasses in in that era, the older guys? I mean, they are, but I mean, they're, they're sort of, it's framed in terms of age, though. Is it? Okay. You know, you know, it's like, oh, you whippersnapper, yeah, you've got some things going on, and maybe you might get a lick or two in, but in the end, John... Well, there's like an American masculinity thing right yeah. there, like respecting your elders, and mm-hmm. yeah. I'm Let's... not going to let my boy win basketball. <laughs> exactly, yeah, so Gary Cooper's got to go to work a little bit, or whatever, yeah, and so there's a little bit of, so, I mean, is it... I mean, and we have a moment like that in this movie where Jackie Chan fights the uh, the young guy, the yeah. young guy, and uh, eventually, you know, obviously whoops him. Yeah, and then they they bond over being soldiers. Being, yeah, because you know you fought in a war and I fought in a war, so, yeah, so now we're pals. Okay. Well, that's even the thing that uh, Bromley is, you know, suggested he'll even listen to the nephew about is because they were both military. That's yeah. true, right? So yeah. that seems to be kind of like a. Shared camaraderie despite culture. Yeah, the the bond of veterans. You've put on the uniform for your state, and yeah, we share that trauma. Yeah, the 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 uh, the Metal Gear Solid philosophy of, yeah. of soldiers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, we're just <laughs> your mommy's name is Martha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You 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 killed for your government too. I don't know. I think that that's fun though. I love that action movie trope of like it doesn't matter what service you were in. It's like cross nationally. Yeah, yeah. I see you. I see you, dude. I heard a comedy bit the other day. This is going to be ridiculous to be talking about on the show, but I just want to do it anyway. The guy's on a cruise, mm-hmm. and the guy's a veteran. Mm-hmm. The, com- the comedian is who does like setup for the big comedians, mm-hmm. and he's a veteran, very proud of being a veteran. And it, it, he was on the cruise on Veterans Day, and they do a countdown of, well, we'll see who's been, you know, all the veterans, please stand up, give him a hand. We'll see who's been in the service the longest, who's been in the service for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've been less than 10, sit down. Gets all the way up to 25. There's only one guy left. Says, okay, who's done? 29. The guy sits down and then this guy comes up a little short, five foot three man. He goes, okay, well, what branch did you serve in? And I said, 34 years in the uh, Iraqi Republican Guard. That's so <laughs> fucking funny. And he said, the best day of my life was the day I surrendered to the U.S. Marines. And like, he, he knew how to milk it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. with the captain. And it was very, very funny. But I was like, you got to remember, it's more complicated than everything we, we tend to assume. That's a good pivot, though, I think for us to to move to talking about the IRA trolls. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not that any of us are experts on that, no. but uh, political struggle is fraught. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of people have written lots of tomes over human history about the necessity of violence as a political tool. Uh, I, I ain't got an opinion on this, man. I don't know. I think about this shit all the time. I don't know what the right answer well, it is. It didn't work. I yeah. mean, we, we can give it this much. You know, whatever happens in the 70s, you know, with late 60s, early 70s, when the violence kind of kicks up another notch again, mm-hmm. uh, and the sort of resistance of the the district kingdom, mini kingdom of Northern Ireland. I guess brackets, like the broadest possible strokes is the Irish War for Independence happens in the early 20s, and then immediately following that, there's an Irish Civil War. Right. And that is sort of like what lays the groundwork for the 20th century conflicts. Correct. Which, again, is ignoring... Two, three hundred years of history before that. I mean, yeah, it's very, very, yeah. It's so complicated. Complicated. Yeah. But uh, whatever happens there, that this sort of uh, pro-Republican sort of wanting to leave Great Britain and be part of the Irish Republic uh, group uh, inside of Northern Ireland, and then, of course, this pro-remaining in Britain section, mostly Protestant on the Britain side, mostly Catholic on the other side, although... There's all kinds of there's issues a, in there. there yeah, it's the a, IRA hates Catholic leadership for kowtowing to the Brits, and yeah, it's... Yeah, it's... it's it's a thing. Um, and so, and there's a number of, uh, well, what, non, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Partisan? No, 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 within religious groups. So people who are not Anglicans. Um, oh, there's a word. It's not separatist, but there's a word for people who are, they don't play the game. English Christian or British Christians that are well, non-conformists. Non-conformists, yeah. The non-conformists is exactly the word. Oh, okay. Uh, so the non-conformist groups, you know, so Presbyterians, etc., mm-hmm. have a tendency to be more Republican than they mm. tend to be nationalist. Gotcha. And I mean, just giving you some shades of the the complication there. But um, whenever the bombings started happening and uh, the Ulster death squads, the IRA death squads back and forth and the paybacks and recriminations and all that kind of stuff, the whole thing ends up ending in a stalemate. I mean, you know, that's that's the first thing is is if you're going to do this evaluation in terms of what violence does or how effective violence is, uh, violence in the end doesn't work. Well, what works is the hunger strike, right? In 81. Mm -hmm. And that's what the uh, the God, I can't remember how many is is like in the 90s, though. I mean, there's I was I'm not I was just going to say the the 81 hunger strike is like what 
for my reading, is one of the things that gives Sinn Féin, I'm probably saying Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin, thank you, is what gives Sinn Féin, like, political... I'm so glad you both had that ready to go, Jesus. I, you know, I should I should know my mother tongue, and I just don't. <laughs> I only know because that's Pierce pronounces it that way. Yeah, and I, I missed it. Uh, I, I saw the Sinn caption. Sinn Féin. It's a political arm of the IRA. But it, be, it gains political legitimacy around 81. It, mm-hmm. like, becomes a real political a party. party. Yeah, yeah, that you know, votes. And I mean, Bobby Sands gets elected to parliament while he's in prison doing the hunger strike. It is like a a very, it is this act of self, which begins to move away, move to diplomacy away from violence. Exactly. Yeah. Violence doesn't finally go the wayside until the nineties, but, and then with, with isolated incidences here and there, uh, after that, I don't mean to minimize them. I'm just saying it's not the same sort of epidemic levels as you saw from the seventies through the eighties into the early nineties. Um, but so there's an idea that violence doesn't work, and the film seems to suggest that mm-hmm. that uh, part of what's going on with Brosnan's character, who's not a bad guy, he is the bad guy, but he's not a bad guy insofar as he is brokering a peace and doing everything he can to keep. But he is also back channeling, you know, property bombings. He's like, well, as long as nobody dies, nobody dies. Yeah, so, uh huh. Okay, Pierce. Nobody yeah. ever dies in a bombing, right? Yeah, which is uh, yeah. So he's, whatever, whatever, Tyler Durden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it got it got away from him, but it, it does seem to be that you know he is he's a person that abhors the violence and doesn't want the bloodshed. Yeah, and that, that's and and sort of has in his mind that that's not an effective tool any longer. But again, it's sort of on the level of tactics, not on morality, and that's why he's able to give the green light mm-hmm. to a bombing of a bank with no way getting hurt. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's the morality of killing people that it's just the the tactics of it mm-hmm. that he seems to find troubling. And I mean. I don't know if the movie has any way uh, a commentary on the usefulness of that kind of violence, but it definitely does seem to suggest, though, that um, the Irish Republican Army types are just willing to kill anybody, and that the Irish Republican Army types that are continuing into the 20-teens or whenever the time frame of this film is are simply a group of people who are unable to let go of grudges, you know, as opposed to cosmopolitans, you know, enlightened Britain, right? Yeah, I mean, that is definitely the juxtaposition that's given. I mean, it's it's sort of framed, I can't remember the name of the character, but his lieutenant, who is sort of the guy who had the the Simtex lying around. Oh, it. McGrath. McGrath, thank you. He's the one that... McGrath, like, the crime Irishman. Exactly. He, him and um, Pierce have this, this showdown, and it, this is kind of treated as a big reveal that Pierce sanctioned the initial bombing. Mm-hmm. And you're right that in this scene, he is definitely framed as a guy who's like, you're soft. You're just, you're soft. Mm-hmm. It's foolish of you to think we can do this without killing people. And yeah, it definitely seems to position like any violence as, as just being rooted in, like you said, uh, vendettas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the motivation of his wife, right, is because mm-hmm. her brother was killed and... By UVF death squad, yeah. And he refused to kill those guys before they went to trial. Yeah. And there was no blood, and that's why she hates him. And that's why she's willing to go back to it, because she's she's not had her fill of blood. You know, and so it, it does sort of represent... It is... You know, I think about the Honorable Sean Bean character in Patriot Games, mm. which is a similar kind of film to this. Uh, it's Tom well, and again, also named for that song I brought up, Patriot Right, Game. right, yeah, yeah. 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 A lot of stuff names after that ballad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, it's an influential piece. Uh, who's the poet on that? Uh, you have to. I, I had it pulled up, give me a second. Me, yeah, it's in my notes. That. But uh, I was just going to say, Sean Bean is seems to be a, a, a guy doing all the wrong things for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the general gist of the way those films work, mm-hmm. right? Again, sort of the way cinema tends to represent the Irish Republican Army is a group of women and men who are wronged and are justly angry, but unjustly choose violence, right? Well, but, and I think this brings us to the the romanticization of the white terrorist a little bit because mm-hmm. you don't hear a lot of people and God, I'm glad we don't do this for a job because I'm about to say something really like on the line. You don't hear a lot of people defending. I'm not going to pick a specific group, but any group of insurgents, you might any think group of, of insurgents, an unoccupied any, nation, any group of uh, Muslim extremists who have committed acts of terrorism. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, again, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's other than race. Tamil Tigers, for instance. Exactly. There's way. plenty. Well, Sandinistas. San, yeah. Yeah. Or Zapatistas. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of, you know, armed revolutionary struggles throughout the world that get a lot of bad press. And it definitely seems like the IRA gets 
given a little bit more. Again, there's plenty of stuff that's saying, isn't it bad when the IRA blows shit up? So I'm mm-hmm. not trying to say like it is definitely like media's got a race problem, but media does have a race problem. It does. <laughs> it just does. And it's it's interesting to me how many, again, there's not a lot of movies where I'm trying to think of a North, Middle Eastern or North African actor uh, who would even get to play this type of Daniel Day-Lewis in the boxer right. role, right? Like, there's not a g- movie about a guy who gets out of Turkish prison after being an ISIS, uh, you know, prisoner of war and, like, tries to go straight and, you know, get back into the faith in, like, a wholesome way. Right. right? We don't have those movies. Yeah, well, he gets back into the faith in a wholesome way and then somebody does something. Yeah. A, a, a group of, you know, perhaps occupying soldiers, you know, have an illegal prison and they hold his daughter or wife. I mean, it'd be the same kind of narrative. And then he just goes to work to get her out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be the same kind of movie, but we're yeah. not making that kind of movie. To be clear, dear listener, what we're saying here is we don't have a problem with with and ennobling part of the motivation for the Irish Republican Army. The problem we have is the lack of ennobilization that we see for people who are slightly more pigmented um, than um, the Irish resistors. The, the Taliban have lot, done a lot of bad things. They are and bad. I'm, and I'm not saying melanin is the only reason people don't like them. <laughs> right. But it's a contributing factor, and as is their religion. Mm-hmm. And that just is a fact. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can throw in all the, like, the homophobia, the misogyny, like, it, big problems. Bad, bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there there is nuance given to the IRA that is not given to other struggles. Exactly. And maybe it was bad to pick, you know, the, the armed wing of struggle in that part of the world. <laughs> I guess we could go to the Kurds, though, if we wanted something like sure. if we wanted a group that's like a little less ethically dicey. You know, people yeah. who are dispos- talking about a group of people that are dispossessed, have no nation state and are trying to exist in something resembling a you know community self-defense when they have you know multiple nations who just like don't give a shit don't give shit about them or want to actively Actively trying to murder them yeah so it's maybe that's the better group and we don't get stories about you know the kurdish struggle because the u.s likes to support the kurds for you know about 18 months at a time and right long enough to uh you know (laughs) advance our goals get the help and then we off we go so yeah it's it's just interesting i i i I like all these movies about the IRA because they make me think. They make me mm-hmm. like consider the legitimacy of political violence. They they ask these interesting questions, but it is it's troubling. I, I don't know. There's no answer here, but no. it's something that I was thinking about while I was watching the foreigner, especially because you know Jackie Chan is like framed as a good guy for working for the CIA as opposed to the Viet Cong, right? Right. Like, he could have easily worked for the other side in this movie, and it still would have been totally interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so. they want to make sure. Yeah, we get the. The right alignment to start with. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, moving on, then, in terms of people who are not treated well um, and maybe over, you know, there we go. Women. Uh, so we've, yeah. got, we've got a refrigerated daughter. Yep. We've got a McBeth. I'm sorry. We have three refrigerated three daughters. Three refrigerated daughters. One and a refrigerated one, wife. Yeah. Well, one one refrigerated daughter on screen and then three more refrigerated female family members yes so mm-hmm. uh two two daughters and a and a wife um a backstabbing wife uh, Mac- lady macbeth uh, a lady wife. macbeth type yeah type sure wife, yeah uh, uh and then a spider lady femme fatale yeah of a girlfriend mistress uh, yeah. terrorist person this movie hates women a little bit it does seem to not like women it's i mean there's fam there's fam but you know the, the his the, daughter his, no the the girl oh, lamb. The, the lamb 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 yeah lamb. the woman he lamb. leaves yeah fans the and daughter and then Kate the prime Kate. minister oh, oh the God, prime minister yeah, yeah sure who has secretary very little to do who, but. yeah well and then I guess we have the the deputy prime the deputy minister there and the British counterpart Kavanaugh mm-hmm. you know as well and she's just like hey um give me something or I'm we're a gonna... stern politician hello yes, hell, yes. Yeah. here I'm a woman in a suit you know and that's all she does yeah yeah yeah. I, I exist to make you think less about the other ways women are being portrayed in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. It, yeah, I don't know. There's not a there there, uh, you know, other than we talk about this shit when we talk about a lot of action movies. Like, cinema is made by dudes about dudes a lot of the time, and well, they're bad at it. The classic trope of the old man action film is that a daughter or wife is either going to go missing or dead. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is sort of an inherent problem with the genre. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean... That's sort of why John Wick exists, is to give you a fridged wife without having to murder her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It lets cancer kill her, so it's not like, we didn't do it. We didn't make a bad guy to it. Yeah. <laughs> she died before the movie started. And then, and then fridges the dog. And exactly. then fridge the dog. Well, the dog is, yeah. And then fridge the car. Well, I mean, we can't get, we can't get, look, we've got a supersized John Wick episode coming up. <laughs> we'll get into it in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I don't know. Mag is it Maggie? Is that the uh Maggie slash Sarah, yes. This this actually this is one of my favorite things about the movie is the MI five is presented as pretty evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. MI five like actively tortures this woman and then like executes her. Yeah, I yeah. mean I think there there is one that is one place in which we have this sort of you know, moral ambiguity on both sides a little bit there. Yeah. It really makes it, it was a moment that I had totally forgotten about for my first viewing of the film. And when it happened, I was just like, oh, this movie is like more politically complicated than it would seem because it it, it is really stark in the way it, it portrays in my five. It's bad. I mean, it, it, when I say execute, I am not exaggerating. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is a pretty gross scene. Honestly, yeah. uh, it's really horrifying and uh, it does not shy away from like, the villainy of the act, even if it results in a plane not blowing up or a bomb not blowing up a plane, mm-hmm. it, it does not pretend that what they did was good either, which I think is interesting. Again, for uh, I didn't see who did the screenplay on this, but uh, the way Campbell shoots it is like very stark, yeah, and not not like action movie at all. No, no, it's just like okay, and now you need to you know no loose yep. ends or whatever, yeah. and um, you know it is pretty cool, and they blow up the ceiling and rope in through the or jump jump down from the apartment above though. That, that is cool. That is that, that is very cool. I'm an well, idiot. I, I'm sorry. That shit rules. And I, and I love the sort of TSA guy who's having to run through Heathrow and throw, throw the laptop and throw the, the laptop yeah. like uh, I, uh, the causeway uh, or whatever. Ian, yeah, Ian, 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 we're trying to find you, Ian. Who's Ian? I I, I like that he stumbles too. I like that yeah, he had no yeah, clear route. He falls yeah, over he, the chairs. Oh, and, and another cop picks up the laptop yeah. as he's like trying to scramble back up. Yeah, yeah that's a really fun touch. Yeah, it's, it, there's some, there's some realism to that that really kind of works. I mean, that's kind of the thing that is fun about this movie is there are moments of realism throughout that are sort of like, oh, I didn't expect you to do that action movie. You didn't have to. You didn't have to go and do that. But that mm-hmm. was nice of you. Yeah, to, thank you for that. Thank yeah. you for taking things seriously. Uh, I love the uh, the cigarette fuse, mm-hmm. the the bathroom bomb. Yeah. I know that this is, this is no, there's no analysis here. I just wanted to talk about yeah. a cool thing in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> it just ropes up those two bottles, and, and it's a cool trope that I hadn't seen in a long time. It's installing seventeen from the fifties, a William Holden film. Oh, the cigarette or, fuse. Yeah, the cigarette fuse. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a whole you know sort of plot point mm-hmm. uh, in that movie, and I hadn't seen it in forever. And it's like, oh yeah, cool. I was, I was like, yeah, bring that sucker back because just it's fun. Just a, it's a very very good chestnut. I need to see Stalag seventeen. Uh, there we've t- we've talked a lot about you know political violence and terrorism and we haven't really talked about vigilantism which yeah. is what's going on i mean i don't know that there's this movie is sort of just doing vigilantism the way most old man action movies are doing yeah. it uh but police you know, are incompetent they're never going to get it done yeah you know it requires uh, one person with the the miraculous abilities and know-how and more and, and just the moral high ground at all times mm-hmm. yeah just a big anti-bureaucracy style mm-hmm. trope in in general Especially, I think, in a British story. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I didn't even think about, like, the British context of the bureaucracy, but that, that definitely there's a like, long tradition of, like, of kind of not hating bureaucracy, but at least commenting on bureaucracy. Well, yeah, the, the idea that you have to sit in line and go call every day in order to get them to do anything mm-hmm. is kind of common. So it just mm-hmm. we're now applying it to the legal system, criminal yeah. system here. Yeah. You know, lose that, right? He's, he's called everybody multiple times. He's mm-hmm. called Bromley's office multiple times. He calls... Hennessy's office multiple times, and it's just the way that world works. And he's tired of it. What is it? He's the tra- fed the, up. Was it the trailer for this uh, movie? I believe says, "Never push a good man too far." Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Some some bullshit. Well, qu- yeah, and probably question the ethics of Quan's character. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, he is sort of like because he was in the military, special forces. He, he, he never, did some questionable he, things. Hmm. I look, I, you know, I only know what my granddad tells, tells me. And he doesn't tell me a lot, but the things he alludes to are shocking. Well, I think one of the important tropes of these kind of movies that make them so satisfying is the idea of underestimation. Mm, is, yeah. is that you, you just assume that, you know... A small elderly restaurateur. Yeah, that, that's what yeah. this person is going to be. And that, you know, we're we're omnicompetent. You know, I was talking to Arthur as we were watching that uh, apartment fight scene. Mm, and so about good. just how angry those guys would have to be at the frustration that it's not easy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it keeps not being easy, you know, and they get, you know, dressed down by uh, Pierce Brosnan when they finally get back to it. But the idea is like they are they are just as furious as he is. So they cannot believe that this, you know, because they have underestimated the person. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. And and I, and I think that's that's what works. Oh, you're an old man. With, you know, what are you going to do? Well, that that sort of factor of the film, like, is, you know, the. The immigrant story aspect of this film is pretty slight, but at that level, it is kind of operating in the background, like the tendency of, 
what was from like naturalized citizens of a country to, to be real discount, deferential and to, well, to discount you know people who are new to their society mm-hmm. right and to not take seriously people who have immigrated oh yeah, uh, yeah that's sort of a tendency that we see throughout like life and media and i think it's interesting the way that the movie kind of like plays with that in action context mm-hmm. sort of you know as you said it's kind of you, you mentioned this sort of module within a class that you were theorizing on the sort of not the old man action movie as seen through the context of different diasporas mm-hmm. It's sort of like, again, not, this is not an immigrant story movie, but it's not, not one either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's playing in those waters and, you know, saying something about like you, you said this, this sort of, I don't know. Um, can't figure out the best way to articulate it, but again, just this, this discounting that you mm-hmm. mentioned. Yeah. 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 Underestimation. Yeah. 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 All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and render a verdict on the foreigner. Let's figure out whether we like it or not, and whether it goes on the shelf or in the trash. I'll go to your first Dalton. Shelf or trash, go. Make a choice. Well, we picked a really good time to talk about this movie because it's leaving Netflix on January 31st. So by the time you're hearing this episode, you can't watch it on Netflix anymore. So that does answer the beg the question, should you go pick this up? No, probably not. Uh, It'll be back on streaming again before too long, I'm sure. Uh, It's a fine movie. It, It is really fun. But it's also not reinventing the wheel. Like you, you definitely don't need to own a copy of The Foreigner. I, I cannot say you shelf this, unfortunately. All right, thank you very much for that, Dalton. Sir, what do you say, Arthur? I think I would very, very gently slip it on the shelf. Uh, just it's in my wheelhouse. I think sure. it stands out uh, amongst a crowded field, and I think Campbell's direction is uh, worth revisiting. And so, and I like what what's happening here with Jackie and Pierce. It's the best Jackie Chan performance of that decade, I think, which mm-hmm. is pretty fun. Yeah. It's a regular odd couple, those two. <laughs> they are really, <laughs> com- <laughs> the, they don't get a ton of screen time together, but the scenes they have together are really good. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Dustin? I'm writing a dissertation on Kung Fu movies. Yeah. You so are. It's shelf. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Well, in my, my track. Down the middle. You'll yeah. notice I didn't even say trash it. I just said don't shelf it. Yeah. It'll, it'll be back on streaming. Yeah. I think this is a good movie. I just, you want to be able to, I want to be able to watch it when I want to be able to watch You're it. You're trashing by omission. You're right. I am trashing by omission. <laughs> yes. You two are clearly have the moral high ground here. That's, well, as always. I'm in my five, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there are our thoughts on The Foreigner. If you have thoughts and you'd like to share them, Dalton's going to tell you how. That's right. If you want to email us your thoughts, you can do that at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Again, for your long form feedback, go ahead and send that to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. You can also find us on the Elon app at Good Trash Media. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty much the only place we're active on socials these days. But, uh, you know, we post links to this show, uh, interesting film stuff from around the web that we find, uh, links to other podcasts from people that we like and know or, or you know, affiliated with us. That's Good Trash Media uh, on Twitter. And last but certainly not least, if you want to help us keep the lights on, this is a, uh, you know, a fly by night operation. So if you want to help keep that happening, go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, you can find out what's in it for you. Things like picking a movie for us to talk about on the show or having us send a movie to you based on a, a survey you fill out, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. That's good trash meet, or I'm sorry, patreon.com forward slash GTM. Thank you very much for that. Dalton. Um, Arthur, you're going to pull this, um, East meets West crime wave, uh, marathon into a close now. Now you are. Not, now I am. Now you are. It's official now. Now, uh, with one more movie. Yeah, Penultimate's yes. done in the bag. Season finale. Here we go. Next week. Gentlemen, we've talked about several unruly characters and unsettling organizations in the last few weeks that we've dealt with this crime wave. We've learned drugs are bad. Drugs are so Terrorism bad. is bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know what else is M- bad? Multiverse is bad, too, probably. You know what else is bad? Uh-huh. Tax fraud. And you don't want to deal with the IRS. No, so you don't. next week, no, you don't. we have to join mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh mm-hmm. as we look at everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm positively vibrating. It's back in theaters right now. I'm going to go see it this weekend, probably. Oh, I can't wait. I am stoked. I like this movie a lot. Great. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. Everything bagel.